So tonight I wanted to talk about the role of commitment, faith, and devotion on the path of awakening. I feel like if you would have caught me a year ago, you would have not heard me talk about any of these words, <laughs> especially faith and devotion. Have, I sometimes call faith the F word. kind of has a ring to it. In Buddhist practice, we begin, we start to, as we commit to a path of uh, Buddhist practice, to take refuge in what we call the three jewels or the three gems of practice, which are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Taking refuge in the Buddha. Buddha, the word Buddha meaning awaken one. So taking refuge in the Buddha is mostly taking refuge in my own potential for awakening. taking refuge in the Dharma, which are the teachings of the Buddha. And taking refuge in a path that promotes awakening. And then lastly, taking refuge in the Sangha, which is the community, us, the people who have committed themselves to the path of awakening, taking refuge in the community. The definition of refuge is uh, a place of shelter, protection, or safety, or anything to which one has recourse for aid, relief, or escape. I think that embarking on any spiritual path requires a degree of refuge, of grit, of determination. And as we continue in this process of mindfulness to confront the stressful, busy mind, the neurotic, controlling mind, the fix manage and control mind as we begin to confront our projections of the world of our place in the world the comparing mind the judging mind the I'm not good enough I'm better than I'm less than we find ourselves on less solid ground. Mindfulness, awareness alone is bad news. (laughs) I have been painfully aware of patterns of manipulation and patterns of control and obsession And I like to say that awareness is, it always brings forth, this mindfulness always brings forth good, it's good information, but not always good news. Right? 
And so I want to read a little bit of a passage from Carl Jung. Carl Jung talks about the process of awakening as the practice of confronting what he calls the shadow side of the human experience. We're looking at, in Buddhist practice, one and the same is how he talks about the shadow side. We're looking at what is getting in the way of our well-being. We're stopping, actually, the whole self-improvement model of the mind that I need to do better, that I need to be better, that I am inherently lacking something that's out here, this external refuge, and we're replacing it with an internal refuge. Everything I have is already available. But what's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? And so Carl Jung says, he uses masculine pronouns. I tried to, like, replace them all, and it got way too confusing, so forgive me. (laughs) So Carl Jung says, if you imagine someone who is brave enough to withdraw all his projections, then you get an individual who is conscious of a pretty thick shadow. Such a man has saddled himself with new problems and conflicts. He has become a serious problem to himself, as he is now unable to say that they do this or that, they are wrong, and they must be fought against. Such a man knows that whatever is wrong in this world is in himself, and if he only learns to deal with his own shadow, he has done something real for the world. He has succeeded in shouldering at least an infinitesimal part of the gigantic, unsolved social problems of our day. And I love that because I feel like in any spiritual practice, whether you identify as Buddhist or not, whatever that means, that I feel like in any spiritual practice we are called to become a problem to ourselves. We want to start to look at our fixed identities, our fixed beliefs and views, our values. We want to start to question and unravel and to ask ourselves, is this leading towards the end of suffering or is this leading towards more suffering? These defenses of our minds, of our heart, that keep me fixed and identified with myself. When we start to break them down, when we start to question, we start to experience ungroundedness, insecurity, less stability. This is normal. This is important. Anyone that I've talked to that have committed to mindfulness, that have committed to Dharma practice over a period of time, will find themselves in a place of, at times, experiencing doubt, experiencing insecurity, a lack of faith, uncertainty, fear. 
We want to learn how to live more sporadically, more creatively. I love just the word like more authentically. My views and my opinions about myself and my place in the world, the comparing, the judging, the fixing, the controlling, the expectations, the thirst and craving for certainty in a world that's not certain, all of this stuff disables my ability to be authentic. And it's not my fault. This is what the, this is what the mind does. My nervous system has been wired and programmed to take care of itself for thousands of years. My nervous system has been wired to perceive threat and to tell me that you are not of my tribe until I get to know that you're safe. So we want to confront the shadow side. We want to, as the Buddha says... In the first noble truth, we want to embrace dukkha. We want to embrace our shadow side, stress, the ways that we suffer. And this will take commitment. I don't care if it's Buddhist practice, if it's Christianity, if it's Hinduism, if it's Quakerism, if it's any of the isms, if it's you sitting on your floor developing your own spiritual path, staying on a path will take commitment. And I think it will take also eventually need faith and perseverance. Courage. Maya Angelou said, uh, she says, courage is the most of all the virtues because without courage you cannot be, practice any other virtue consistently. You can be anything erratically, kind, true, generous, fair, merciful, or just, any of those things occasionally, but to be that thing time after time demands that you have courage. So I think the natural starting place is to consider and to reflect for ourselves, why would I, for myself, be interested in a spiritual path? In my own story and experience of embarking on a spiritual path started when I was in a time of the most suffering in my life. I'd found myself uh, addicted to crack cocaine and alcohol at 16 years old and wound up in jail at 18 years old, three felonies. My commitment to spiritual path was one of consequence in the beginning. I actually had no interest in anything like this. Also, I remember when I was in active addiction and in this part of my life, I remember that there was a part of me that I felt and could know that knew that 
my behavior wasn't inherent, that knew that I wanted more out of life. There was a, the Buddha calls this samvega, or spiritual urgency. There was a sense of urgency to have more out of life. So out of consequence, out of this urgency to have more out of life, I also uh, looked around and I saw that other people who were on spiritual paths and had spiritual communities seemed to have a lot more ease and well-being than I had in my experience. And so this kind of, I did use this community, right, or a sense of noticing, observing others that help my commitment, my degree of determination. So refuge in the Buddha. This is the refuge that as we say that all beings have the power and potential to free themselves from suffering, that all beings have the power and potential to awaken in this life. The Buddha before his awakening was doubtful, was struggling, was confronting a lot of his shadow, and was about to kind of give up. He had tried ascetic practice for years where he denied his body any pleasure, thinking that there was no happiness lasting happiness in the world and so he would just get rid of his pleasure system so he denied himself any sense of joy or pleasure he developed through years of practice uh, meditation in the form of trying to find bliss and trying to find and reach some higher level of awareness and nothing worked and so he found himself sitting there and reflecting on a time in his childhood where he was sitting above a field watching over like a parade that was uh, his father on his father's property. And sitting there just breathing in and out, feeling completely content and at ease in his body with his breath. Knowing that somewhere in his heart, this as we this word we talk about chitta, this heart mind, that his heart hadn't given up on him, that there was something, there was a potential. This is what encouraged him to sit. He said. Let only my skin and bones remain. Let my blood dry up. I will not give up until I have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endeavor. He said, no matter what, I'm going to find more happiness and ease in this world. I'm going to wake the fuck up. I think societally we have this sense that once I do enough or once I'm worth enough, 
then I'll be worth this happiness, or then I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, this this sense of self harshness, self criticism, self judgment, achievement mentality is really the thread that we're up against in a, in a large way. And so I think it's worthy of reflecting and practicing the reflection that this potential for awakening is available. And if I don't feel it now, reflecting on a time when I did, when did I, when did I feel hope? As someone that struggles with depression, I feel like this contemplation is something that's a very worthy practice. When did I feel good enough? In taking refuge in our own potential for awakening in the Buddha. We also want to take refuge in uh, Buddhist practice in the Dharma, which is the teaching of the Buddha. The Dharma has many translations. One of the primary translations is that the Dharma is the way uh, things are. Reality, truth. And the interesting thing about all of the Buddha's teaching is that he didn't teach a dogmatic truth. He taught an experiential truth. He encouraged each one of us to investigate and to see for ourselves with this present time awareness, with this mindfulness, what is it that brings forth your own happiness and well-being and what is it that detracts from it? What's getting in the way? What's the shadow? In one of the suttas to the Kalamas, he says, Do not be satisfied with hearsay, or with tradition, or with legendary lore, or with what has come down in scriptures, or with conjecture, or with logical inference, or with weighing evidence, or with liking for a view after pondering over it, or with someone else's ability, or with the thought, the monk is our teacher. When you know for yourself these things are wholesome, blameless, commended by the wise, and being adopted and put into effect, they lead to welfare and happiness, then you should practice them and abide in them. His dying words as his disciples gathered around on the Buddha's deathbed, they were asking him, who's your successor? Name your successor. Who's going to teach us now? And he says, Have you not been listening to me? (laughs) I thought y'all were awake, right? Some of y'all are supposed to be awake, enlightened beings. And he said this phrase of be a light, be an island unto yourself. And also, we live in a very individualistic culture. I have a very arrogant ego that doesn't really like to do what I'm told. That doesn't really like to take the time to commit to a spiritual path or practice 
to then have the experiences where I know and see for myself. In early recovery, my first sponsor said, yeah, we talk a lot about in recovery day at a time, like stay clean for a day at a time. He said, that's important, but you need to stay clean for 90 days. No arguing. He said, you can't know after a day or two days or three days or a week or two weeks or a month even what it's like to experience the worst shit in your life (laughs) and to experience some ease, to experience some confidence in your recovery, to see that you went through the storm and you got to the other side. If you give up, you won't have that experience, and if you don't have that experience, you won't grow your own faith. I believe that faith is grown, it's cultivated, by looking for it. So we balance in Dharma practice and taking refuge in the Dharma both what we call in Zen form and formlessness or we balance having structure. Develop a sitting practice, practice mindfulness of breathing, practice the four foundations of mindfulness, practice the heart practices, do this daily, come to the sitting group, engage in dialogue, have community, Do it, practice it, see for yourself. And then at a certain point, we have to start to actually let go. This is what's really scary, is we have to actually start to let go of what served us and worked for us in the beginning and to find our own form. There's a sutta called The Raft where the Buddha talks about, you'll hear him talk about the danger and the fear and the anxiety and the stress on the near shore and how the happiness, the ease, the contentment is on the far shore and how do we get from this shore to that shore? What's the path? What's the dharma? What's the practice? What's the form that gets us there? And then what do we do when we arrive? This sutta is called The Raft. He said, Suppose, monks, a man in the course of a journey saw a great expanse of water whose near shore was dangerous and fearful and whose further shore was safe and free from fear, but there was no ferry boat or bridge going to that far shore. Then he thought, Suppose I collect grass, twigs, branches, and leaves and bind them together as a raft and support, supported by the raft, and making an effort with my hands and feet, I got safely across to the far shore. Having arrived at the far shore, he might think thus, this raft has been very helpful to me. Suppose I were to hoist it on my head or load it on my shoulder, then go wherever I want. Now, monks, what do you think? By doing so, would that man be doing what should be done with the raft? And they said, no. (laughs) And he said, that's right. The Buddha liked to teach this way. Instead, having arrived at the far shore, he might think thus, this raft has been very helpful to me. Suppose I were to haul it onto dry land or set it adrift in the water and then go wherever I want. Now, monks, it is by doing so that the man would be doing what should be done with that raft. So I have shown you how the Dhamma is similar to a raft, being for the purpose of crossing over, not for the purpose of grasping. So if you've been coming for a while, I'm speaking to you. 
What's your form of practice? And are you holding on to a way of practicing and of being and this kind of belief system of the Dharma and being a Buddhist? And is it useful? Are you on the raft or are you carrying it around? Lastly, taking refuge in the Sangha. Uh, the, another sutta, Ananda, Buddha, Buddha's attendant, comes up to the Buddha, and this happens throughout the discourses. Ananda was one of the most skilled in the knowledge of the Dharma. He knew more than any other person. He could recite all of the Buddha's teachings word for word. He had an uh, insanely good memory, and he was one of the latest disciples to actually awaken, to reach enlightenment. And it's because he grasped to the Dharma, right? He, he held on to the ideas and the views. Uh, but he loved to come to the, the Buddha and to kind of be a know-it-all, and he would come to the Buddha and say, I know, I know, I know, I know, now I know your teaching. And he said, now I know your teaching on Sangha, on community. He said, it appears that community, this right here, Sangha, is so important, it's, about, it's like half of the Dharma. And the Buddha would always say, not so, Ananda, not so. The Sangha, the community, is the whole of the Dharma. There's an African proverb that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We don't wake up alone. I believe that one of the first and foremost refuges to take in any spiritual path is the refuge in community. I would say before the, my potential for awakening, before my uh, belief in the practice itself, I had to develop relationships, friendships, wise associations, people that I felt comfortable around, people that I felt like I could grow with. And so this is the refuge and community. <clears throat> so these are some thoughts on uh, commitment and faith, devotion, taking refuge. We formally are able to and uh, is a common practice to take formal refuge in the precepts. I, I do this on a daily basis, and this helps remind me of everything that I spoke of here. It helps remind me of my potential for awakening. It helps remind me of my commitment to a spiritual path, and it helps remind me of my commitment to a community of being of service and of being supported. And so that's one way to practice and just reflecting on this for yourself. <clears throat> 